Okay, let's turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. A call to value scripture. Here are some uh, statistics that might interest the bookworms amongst you. So according to Wikipedia, which I know is the fount of all knowledge, the world's best-selling individual book, maybe a surprise, is thought to be A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. They reckon that 200 million copies of that book have been sold. Number six in the list was The Hobbit, J.R. Tolkien, A hundred million copies of them have been sold. Number seven in the list, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, which has sold over 85 million copies. Other books of note within the top 30, The Tale of Peter Rabbit. Can you believe it? 45 million copies of that have been sold. And then you have um, Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life, 33 million copies. The Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, 30 million copies sold. And then coming in, just sitting there in the top uh, 30, is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 20 million copies sold. So just between those seven authors, 513 million books have been sold. That's a lot of books. But, <laughs> and you know where I'm going to go, don't you? <laughs> you know where I'm going. That, that figure, those figures there, pale into insignificance when you compare it with the amount of Bibles that have been sold. I don't know as to whether you look at your best-selling book lists in your paper or online, you'll notice that the Bible is never included in those book lists. If it was, every week, every month, every year, top of that list would be the Bible as the best-selling book. And my guess is that authors all around the world are grateful that the Bible isn't included on that list because you can't, you can't nudge it off the top of that list. The estimate is that over 5 billion copies of God's word has been produced. Now not all of them will have been sold because churches and mission organizations like the word for the world produce, publish and give away. But even so, 5 billion copies of the Bible. So every year there are more Bibles printed than any other book in the world. A hundred million copies are produced every year. Here's a bit of a a quiz question. Which country in the world do you think produces the most Bibles on an annual basis? USA? Nope. It's it's quite ironic, to be honest. China. 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 There is a specific company in China that produces 18 million copies a year and employs 600 people to do that. Isn't it ironic that in a country that seeks to ban the Bible, 
they're very happy to produce a Bible for other countries. So the Bible, that book that you are holding in your hands or on your phone, uh, is the most produced book in the world. So what do we know about this book that we place a lot of importance in? We know that it's a collection of 66 different books. How many in the old? 39. How many in the new? 27. Okay, so 66 books. 1,189 chapters in God's Word, over 31,000 verses. And you know, the Bible, or these books of the Bible, used to be produced on scrolls or, or parchment. And chapter and verse division didn't come in till about 800, 500 years ago for verses. So imagine trying to find the verse that you were trying to get to in a scroll as you unraveled. There hasn't always been those chapter and verse divisions. It's also probably the one book in the world that has taken longest to write. Okay, so from start to finish, it's 1,500 years as a book. Written by about 40 different authors and all of them from a whole variety of different walks of life. So you've got kings, royalty, writing some of the Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. You've got prophets. You've got fishermen. You've got a tent maker. You've got a doctor. You've got musicians. You've got scribes. All of these people forming a diverse collection of writers writing what we now know as God's word. But despite the fact it was written by over 40 different people over 1,500 years, it's, it's very unified in its theme. Amen. Why? Because the original author, God Almighty, spoke through these people in order to say to the world what he wanted to say. Verse 16 of our, of our passage says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Um, 2 Peter says a very similar thing. 2 Peter 1 verse 20 and 21. Peter says this, No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is definitely God's word to his world. So here's a question which might seem an obvious question and to get an obvious answer back in church. How important is God's word to you? Do we really base our lives and our decisions on the word of God? Are you bored of reading God's word? Why, why should it impact your life on a daily basis? So here at the end of chapter 3, we have a very well-known description of what the Bible is all about and what it is intended for. 
So first of all, notice that very small word right at the beginning of verse 16. A word that maybe some of us have a bit of a problem with. It's a small word. All. All scripture is, in the NIV it says, God breathed, breathed out by God. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Some people, I think, even within the church, uh, tend to think that there are parts of the Bible that are not important. Some people would say that the Old Testament today is not relevant for us. It's too dated. It doesn't really deal with uh, the modern world. Therefore, it's not relevant. But Paul is saying all Scripture is relevant to us. All scripture is God-breathed. In fact, when Paul is writing this letter, remember, AD 66, 67, the New Testament as we know it hadn't been written. So he is primarily referring to the scriptures as the Old Testament scriptures. Although we know that the church then went on to recognize the New Testament as the word of God. So the Old Testament points towards the New can't really have one without the other. So the Old Testament tells us how God created the world. It tells us how he brought his, his chosen people into the promised land. It contains prophecy after prophecy about the coming Messiah, about the anointed one that was to come. The, the old points towards the new. But what some people tend to do is to pick and choose parts of the Bible that are acceptable to them and parts of the Bible that aren't acceptable to them. And so they ignore them completely. Some people who, I'm not quite sure how, would call themselves Christians, would even choose to reject the virgin birth and would even choose to re reject the resurrection of Christ. Which, of course, is what the whole gospel is built on. But you will find some people in churches today who don't believe that they literally happened. So Paul is saying here in verse 16, you can't pick and choose. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and therefore it is relevant to us today, even though there are parts of it that we may not understand. There might even be parts of it that we, 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 we struggle to agree with even. All scripture is inspired by God. Now, I don't know whether you've come across this name before. Uh, a famous preacher in America called William Evans. He was born in Liverpool in 1870, spent most of his life ministering in America. So I think un under the teaching of D.L. Moody, um, he then went into ministry and became a pastor. He was an unusually accomplished man, and I think that is an understatement. Listen to this. William Evans had memorized the entire King James Bible doesn't stop there, as well as the New Testament of the American Standard Version. So when I say that he was unusually accomplished, that is an understatement, isn't it? 
And we, we struggle to memorize a couple of verses in the Bible. <laughs> he, was, he was teaching on the importance of the Bible one Sunday morning in his church. And he wanted to, to, to elaborate on this fact that we need to accept all of God's word. We can't pick and choose. So he began to speak on the virgin birth. So he was in Matthew and he was in Luke. And everyone was, was amazed when he held up his Bible. And in Matthew and Luke, he tore out the page that dealt with the virgin birth. And he said, well, if we find the virgin birth hard to believe, let's, let's tear it out of our Bibles. He then found passages in the New Testament which talked about the resurrection of Christ. And he tore them out, threw the pages on the floor. And then he did the same with the miracles in the Gospels. So it was a long service. <laughs> he went through and he tore out pages that talked about Jesus healing people. And he said, if you choose not to believe in them as things that actually happened, you might as well tear them out. So scattered all over the floor around the pulpit. Can you imagine? His congregation must have thought he'd lost the plot. Pages of scripture torn out of his Bible. And he held up what remained of his New Testament. And he said, there isn't much left. <laughs> And with regards to what is left, how can it have any authority and power over me if the man who preached it was not God and didn't rise from the dead? You see what he's saying? You cannot pick and choose what you think is true or not. How can the Bible have any power or any authority in someone's life if they make themselves the judge of what they decide is true or isn't. All scripture is breathed out by God. That is why it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So notice that the verses that we're looking at here come after the section concerning false teachers in the, in the first half of chapter 3. So Paul was often having to deal, even within the early stages of the church, he was having to deal with false teaching. And a number of times he says, beware of these false teachers. They will change the gospel to suit their own purposes. So there are many warnings about false teaching within the epistles. Look at what he says in verse 14. So he's warned Timothy about false teaching. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and have become assured of. In other words, Timothy, continue to believe in the scriptures that you have been taught. Timothy there will be some in the church who are departing from what the scriptures have to say. They are beginning to pick and choose what they want to believe and they are altering things to suit their own purposes. But Timothy, as for you, continue to believe in what you have been taught. Now, who was it that taught, quite possibly taught Timothy about God's word? Well, look at what it says in verse 15. 
how from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. So it would seem that as Timothy was growing up, he was grounded in the Scriptures. And if you turn back a few pages to chapter 1 and verse 5, you will see who it was that most likely taught him. Chapter 1 and verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. So, it would seem more than likely that Timothy's mother and his grandmother taught Timothy from a young age as he grew up. Here is something that we don't often appreciate. The blessing and the privilege of growing up in a Christian family where God's word is taught. I was, I was blessed to have Christian grandparents and Christian parents who have grounded me in God's word from the beginning. Now, I'm very aware that that doesn't guarantee at all that I will therefore grow up to be a Bible-believing Christian, or even that I'll be a Christian. But I know I'm blessed to have been brought up in an atmosphere, in a home where the Bible has been lifted up. And now... More than ever, is that the right phrase to say? But our children need to be raised in homes where the Bible, the Word of God, has high priority. Because the world in which they're growing up in, and in which we live, is becoming more and more anti-Bible and what the Bible teaches. So the obvious challenge for for the parents and the grandparents among you is, how's it going on that front? How's it going on that front? Are you pointing your children to Christ? Are you saturating them in an atmosphere where the Bible is is held up as an important book? Are you showing them an example by being a parent or a grandparent who is grounded in God's word? It's a challenge, isn't it? Verse 14, you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of. So what is it then that that this word of God is able to do? So look at the second part of verse 15. It says quite clearly, it is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So from start to finish, it tells us about God's love for the world tells us about the cross, tells us about the empty tomb. It tells us what we must do to be saved. That's why this book is not just the most best-selling book of all times, the most produced book, but also the most important book of all time. Why? Because it has the power to make people wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. And if the gospel story is the most important story in the world, wow, it needs to be told. It needs to be out there. It needs to be lived out, doesn't it? This book is so important because it makes people wise 
for salvation. It informs them, it challenges them with regards to the gospel. That's why Bible translation agencies like the Word for the World exist, because we want to see God's Word in every heart language so that everyone has the opportunity of understanding this gospel message, so that they are made wise unto salvation. Finally, as you'll see in verse 16, what is God's word for? It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So the Bible teaches us how to live as followers of Christ. So this is where we get our doctrine from. This is where we get our beliefs and our teaching from. It informs us of who God is. And it teaches us how to live in response to a holy God. And that also leads on to this word reproof. Uh, The NIV uses the word rebuke. I don't know that many of us like to be rebuked, do we? We don't like to be told what we're doing wrong. And yet as we study God's word, it shows us clearly what we're doing wrong. It shows us where we're failing and falling and what we need to do to put those things right. And and so as we come to God's word, there is a need for us to come in humility and accept the rebuke that it sometimes brings. You know, sometimes we can be reading God's word. It inspires us. It encourages us. It makes us feel... Fantastic. But there are other times when God's word makes us feel very uncomfortable because it hits right at the heart of our lives and it rebukes us for where we are living our lives wrong. That also leads on to the fact that the Bible corrects us. Uh, The literal reading of that word is to straighten us out. To straighten us out. So God's word, as we read it, as we apply it, straightens us out. It corrects our behavior, provided, of course, that we let it. And then at the end of verse 16, you'll see that the Bible is useful for instruction in righteousness. So it trains us to live upright and honest lives. The value of training. Now, if, if you are a professional athlete... If you're a swimmer or or a footballer, then you spend a lot of time training. And the more you train, the more you practice, hopefully the better you become. In fact, people spend their whole lives training of more value than physical training is spiritual training. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4 verse 8. Physical training is of some value, and we're being encouraged, aren't we, to be a people who are physically active. It is of some value. But godliness has value for all things. In other words, training in godliness is of greater value. There is more to life than the physical, the spiritual And one of the the main ways of keeping spiritually fit and trained is to immerse ourselves in our Bibles, to be trained by God's word 
and to be instructed by it. And the more we are trained, the better equipped we will be for living the Christian life, which is actually what our closing verse tells us, verse 17. That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is the purpose of knowing God's word? Apart from the fact it it tells us how to be saved, it teaches, it trains us, etc. But one of the main purposes of God's word is that we would be complete and thoroughly equipped to live out our lives as believers today. A quick recap as as we draw to a close. Firstly, all scripture is inspired by God. And he speaks through his word today. Ever been in that position? Maybe going through tough times. And you've opened your Bible. And a verse literally, not literally, jumps off the page. And you know that this is God speaking to you today. The power of God's word, even though it was written so long ago, it is God breathed into. Therefore, he breathes out and speaks into our lives today. I remember being in Nairobi a number of years ago, having had two tough years in, in, seven tough years in Tanzania. And at my wit's end in this hotel in Nairobi, someone sent me an email pointed me to a particular verse and the verse wow spoke into my life exactly where I was and reduced me to tears that God would choose to reveal himself through his word and speak into my situation all scripture is inspired by God secondly and this is probably the 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 application for us today Continue to believe in the scriptures that you have been taught. Hold fast to them. Easier said than done in a generation that doesn't hold fast to what the Bible teaches. And in a generation that if you live out godly lives in society, you will be hammered in some situations. And that's what Paul says here in the second part of chapter 3 then those who desire to live godly lives will suffer persecution. Hold fast to what you believe. Thirdly, the Bible makes you wise for salvation in Christ. Tells us, tells us how we are to be salvaged. How we, to, we are to be saved from a lost eternity. Father, would you, would you open our eyes and give us a heavenly perspective that those of us who are in Christ are saved from a lost eternity. Wow! What an incredible gift! But so often my eyes are so lowered on the physical and what is before me that I forget the fact that I am saved from a lost eternity. That news needs to be shared with a lost world. And then fourthly, The usefulness of God's word. It is useful for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof or rebuke, for correcting, 
and for instruction in right living. How important is God's word for you today? Do you know, we even need God's help, don't we, to read his word to us. It's a gift that he's given to us. And you'd think that we'd be running to his word every morning. <laughs> it's hard work, isn't it? Sometimes when I, when I go to spend time in God's word, everything else in my mind seems to become more important and I am dragged in other directions, even as I go to sit down. Oh, just need to go and do that. And before you know it, that time is lost. We need the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit inside to enable us even to spend time in God's word. Let me close with the words of James chapter 1 verse 22. And this is where the rubber hits the road. (laughs) James says to us, do not merely listen to the word. So in a sense, what we have been doing this morning is the easy part. We've been listening to God's word. What does James say? Don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. That's the challenge for us on a daily basis. Are we reading our Bibles? Are we putting our Bibles into practice in our lives? And may, may God strengthen us and equip us as we seek to base our lives on his written word. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are God and your love endures forever. And we revel and rejoice in that love which you have shown us and the world through the giving of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we we are amazed that you should choose to send Christ into the world so that we would have the opportunity of being saved. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your willingness to die and to give up your life so that we might be saved. Help us, Lord, not to take that for granted and to appreciate your love more and more. Thank you once again for your word, which is alive and speaks to us today. Help us, as as James commands us to do, to put it into practice. And I know, Father, that on my own, I'm not able to do that. I need your strengthening. I need your help to be able to do that. And so I pray this week, whatever our circumstances, whatever trials and tribulations we may face, I pray that you would help us to come to you and to put your word into action in our lives. Speak into our lives, we pray. Speak into our lives, Lord, and then enable us to follow what you command. For we ask it in your name the most powerful name the world ever knows, the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.